This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. NBA draft tomorrow. Barclays, Brooklyn. We know the Nets don't have a pick, but the Knicks certainly do. Where they'll be picking? Well, we'll find out between now and then. And which guys are going to be coming off the board first? Some of the questions we will pose to our next guest. He is the outstanding college basketball analyst for ESPN. He's our good pal, Chris Patola. Christopher, long time no chat. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Dan. I hope you're doing well, my friend. No complaints whatsoever. Fun time of year, as we know, when we see some of these guys take their talents to the next level. And you cover this game. You know it as well as anybody. Let me start uh, first and foremost at the top with Paulo Bancaro. And I know that you're close to the Duke program. You know these guys a little bit better maybe than others. Do you agree with Paulo Bancaro maybe being the most NBA-ready player in this draft? Interesting way you pose that. Um, yeah, physically, I, I think you could make that argument. I mean, he, he, you saw it in the in the NCAA tournament, Dan, even more so than you saw it during the regular season. I mean, he just, you know, he's he's so skilled at six ten and you know two hundred and fifty five pounds that he can kind of get to his spot where he wants. So I think he's probably he's certainly more physically ready than Jabari Smith and Holmgren. Um, I don't think I don't think any of those three guys are the, are the most talented players, or at least the, the the guys who have the best long term future NBA future out of this draft. I mean, I like I've, I've said for a while now. I think Jaden Ivey is is the best player. I think Benedict Matherin, the kid out of Arizona, is also really really talented. I think going to be a great pro. But those top three presumptive guys, I think the way you ask that is is an interesting way because I, I do think Van Carroll physically you, you could plop him in into an NBA game today and I don't think he's going to look out of place. Right. So he's got the NBA body. I mean, compared to at least the two other bigs that you talked about that are in the discussion, I mean, the body is ready for the NBA physically. Maybe we know Holmgren's got to fill out a little bit. Even Jabari Smith, I think, could, you know, put a little bit more muscle on to have a long NBA career. But physically, it's Paolo there. You said Jaden Ivey, though. You mentioned that name. And I think Knicks fans listening to this right now, their ears kind of started buzzing a little <laughs> bit. Tell me why his game is going to translate so well to the next level, you think? Well, I think the NBA game, first of all, is going to be more beneficial to him. I mean, look, he had a fantastic year this year, certainly. But, you know, when you start diving into, to, A, the team he played on, like he was playing with two big dudes, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady, who when he tried to drive that lane, man, like it was clogged. There was just a lot going on in the paint with Purdue this year. And not even just with Purdue. I mean, when you look at, at the Big Ten overall, I mean, you've got Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson. I mean, every time Ivy tried to get to the lane, he was running into a wall. And I, I just think, you know, when the NBA game starts to open up, it was one of the reasons he was so dynamic in transition because he's such a great athlete. He's such a great finisher. He's so good with the ball that, you know, when you give him a little bit of space, he, he really could flourish. And so I think even in the half court in the NBA, Dan, I, I, I just think – He's a tremendous finisher. He's dynamic off of the dribble. He's a developing shooter that I, I think could become a very good NBA shooter. And, you know, the one question mark is the, is the decision-making. But, mm -hmm. like, I think that's a coachable element to his game, whereas some of these other areas that, that I've touched on, it, you know, you can't necessarily teach that, and nor do you want to with a guy that you're taking in the top five picks. So 
I just I think he's the most talented guy. I think he's the best athlete in this draft, and, and I think he's the guy that ultimately, when you start projecting 10, 15 years down the road, I think he's the guy who's going to be the most productive NBA player out of this draft. Now, now, now he's the guy right now. You know, a lot of people think he'd go as early as four. Don't necessarily see him as the party crasher maybe in the top three, but you know, I, I'm a little bit curious as to maybe how he'd play alongside De'Aaron Fox if Sacramento turns his name on the card tomorrow. But Sacramento doesn't do a lot of wise things, as we know, so who knows what they'll do. However, let's say the Knicks can move heaven and earth and move up and, you know, get that number four slot for like a Jaden Ivey. Do you think there is a fit there with R.J. Barrett playing alongside of him? I do, because I, you know, and look, at the end of the day, you've got to start to put some pressure, I think, a little bit on R.J. Barrett. I mean, you know, this is this is a guy who has not been a good finisher. Um, I, 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 it's obviously not time to pack your bags on the guy, but I, like I think drafting a guy who you know you knew you know is is a proven finisher at the rim, a guy who's gonna I think play the way that the Knicks want to play. Um, by the way, for 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 Tom Thibodeau, he's he's not a defensive liability in the least. I mean, he's a pretty good on ball defender, and I, I think he you know he played for Matt Painter. I think he can be a pretty good team defender. So yeah, I think there's. I think it's a much better fit with, with the Knicks than it would be for Sacramento, but but I think, and you know as well as I, Dan, like this draft has also become much more about projection than anything else, and so you're right. not necessarily drafting. You're drafting a guy not as much on fit in the NBA draft anymore. You're drafting a guy based on, you know, the talent and the projection and what is this guy going to be. And so I, I you know, look if he is there. You know, I, I, I liken it to, Dan, you go back to when Danny Ainge drafted Jason, Jason Tatum. That was the mm-hmm. guy that Boston loved. But you couldn't take him. Like, you get into these drafts, and I think this draft is similar, where you get bullied into, into taking the presumptive guys at the top. Danny Ainge, Tatum was their guy. And so they end up trading out of that position so that the Sixers could take faults. And, and then ultimately you trade down and you get the guy you want. I mean, I – that's kind of how I feel about Ivy. Like, I, I think if you have the opportunity to take that guy uh, in the top of that draft, I think you've got to try to make the move. A Nick fan's going to be even calling louder for them to make uh, a swap to get up there and be in position to take him. Chris Patola is our guest here, college basketball analyst for ESPN. You mentioned projection, you know, being the operative word when you look at the NBA draft. And it has been, right? Because especially we don't get a large enough sample size on these players anymore. I, I'm curious, though, in your opinion – You know, given what we've come off of the last two years, you know, with the COVID season and how things have changed and you got so many of these different guys who have maybe reclassified to a certain degree because of it or or, or didn't play like Shaden Sharp, for example. We we haven't seen this guy play in, in almost years, but he's as talented as anybody and a guy who. You know, some have said might even crash that top three. He could be like a likely candidate. How much has it complicated, you think, the evaluation process for some of these teams and GMs with everything that's happened the last couple of years? I think a lot. I I really do. It's another great question. You're on fire tonight, Dan. Uh, Let me just point that out. Oh, you're the best. question asking is you're really sharpened sharpened here. No, I I think it's a great point, and and I try to tell people that, you know, as much when we get to draft time, as much as anything. Like, this is a projection, and even the top three guys, you know, this is a – I mean, if it – the only way to make a case for Chet Holmgren is a projection. The only case to make for Shaden Sharp is a projection. Uh, And, look, it doesn't – I think these teams have become a little bit more accustomed to it uh, because this is kind of how the draft has gone now for a number of years. Um, but most of these guys aren't even physically developed. 
you know, most of these guys don't have a body of work large enough to be able to say this is how we're going to use them. Uh, and so, and, and even the percentages, like, you know, people start throwing out percentages tomorrow night during the draft, you know, this guy shot this or from three, or this guy shot this. And it's like, I mean, he doesn't even know what a good shot is yet. Um, so it, it's difficult. And I, I think that's where you, you go back to a Bancaro. Look, the ceiling may not be as high or a Keegan Murray out of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Ceiling may not be as high. But those guys are pretty like 85% developed. And, and so I think you know at least in, in the near term what you're getting. Uh, and, and then ultimately you got to sort of rely on your analysis and your talent evaluators to kind of go with guys who are not developed to that point yet. What do you think? Because, you know, like Chet Holmgren is the so-called unicorn in this draft. You know, we, we saw him flash last year for the Zags. We know that. But – my goodness, he's like a flagpole. He still has to fill out. He's got to get some more muscle, certainly, to have a long career in the NBA and deal with the physicality. What is his ceiling? Like, give me, give me a comp that you think Chet Holmgren could become on the next level. You know, I'm, I'm not as big on him as, as people seem to be, Dan, and I, I think it's, it's egregiously bad to compare him to Kevin Durant. I mean, it, it, like, it, it's an egregiously bad comparison. Um, he, here's my problem with, with Holmgren, okay? There are certain body types that come into the game of basketball that we just don't know enough about how that's going to translate over an 82-game schedule over a 10-year career, God willing. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. I'm not even just talking about the tall, frail guys. Like Zion Williamson, you and I had the same discussion. I told you prior to that draft, we do not know what that violent game is going to do with that body type over 82 games. And it's bared out. Like, he's just, you know, it's going to be very hard for Zion Williamson to stay on the floor. It was the same with Chris Stapp's Porzingis. I mean, Knicks fans know that. Like, it starts with a back problem, then it's a knee problem, and then all of a sudden they're out of the league. You know, so that's my thing with Chet Holmgren. Look, he got away with a lot at the high school level because nobody looks like him. He got, a lot of, uh, he got away with a lot at the college level, too, because, again, to a degree, nobody looks like him. He can shoot it. There's no question about it. He can put it on the floor. All that's great. In the NBA, though, those guys are going to be licking their chops for a dude like that. And I, I just I don't know what that body type, how it holds up over 82 games in a league that is incredibly athletic, more physical than people, I think, realize because of how the game is called now. And I just don't see it. And so I'm, I'm a little bit more down on Holmgren than I think uh, is the universe seems to be. Well, I, I, I don't want to pump you up too much. And, you know, but uh, folks, I, he's telling the truth. And, I, and I'll, I'm backing it up 100%. He and I had these conversations before the Zion draft, and he was expressing those concerns about Zion going in. And, you know, at least for the first couple of seasons of his career, it's proven true, unfortunately. Let, let, let me run something by you, too. Because I said, you know, you're pretty good in terms of, you know, a little bit of uh, inside knowledge with the Duke program. Should the Knicks stand pat at 11? You know, a couple of the names that are being floated out there that could potentially land on Broadway, maybe an A.J. Griffin, maybe a Mark Williams, guys like that. Do you think those guys have a chance to be contributing productive pros on the next level? I think A.J. Griffin, it's not a hot take. Hot take. This has been my I, – I called a few Duke games this year, and like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm close to coach and work for, for him, et cetera. I think A.J. Griffin's going to be the best Duke player out of this draft. Wow. And, and here's the reason why. 
first of all, he's a terrific shooter. I mean, he shoots a, he shoots a really soft shot, and that, that's a telltale sign that a kid has been taught well, comes from a good stock. His dad obviously was a player in the league and is now a coach. Here's the other thing about A.J. Griffin. His development this year was exponential. He, he was injured his last year of high school basketball. He was injured when he got to Duke. So he didn't really get to start playing and, and you know, certainly did not hit the ground running until, you know, probably mid-November, early December. And then all of a sudden he got healthy, started playing more, and then he became one of their more impactful players. Now, there were some games in the NCAA tournament where he disappeared, but he's the youngest player in this draft. And so I think when you start projecting over the long term, I mean, this is a guy who he's not a great athlete, but he looks like an athlete. Like he's got incredibly thick calves and legs, and he's, I think he's got the ability to be an incredible uh, defender in the league. I think he'll become more athletic as he gets older. And, boy, can he really shoot it. He understands the game. I think this guy's a steal. It, again, if, if the Knicks stay pat and they're there, this is a guy who's easy to play with, who fits in, and I think ultimately is going to be the best Duke player out of this draft. I think Williams is good, and I think he's going to translate well. Um, but there's not a lot other than the shot blocking, the rim running, good athlete, runs the floor. I don't know exactly how much he's going to help you, but I think there's a lot of room for growth with A.J. Griffin. Interesting. And, again, two years ago or, what, three years ago now it's been – you had questions about Zion, and you were saying that a lot of folks that were connected to that program thought that RJ might be the best pro once it's all said and done. And, you know, right now, especially with the growth that he showed last year, um, that's still a distinct possibility from happening if he continues on this trajectory. Uh, lastly, I I'm just going to go out on a limb and make the assumption, if I asked you who's probably the, big, the biggest steal in this draft, it's got to be Ron Harper Jr., correct? <laughs> I was I was about to ask you, are there any Rutgers players in this draft? Uh, but oh, I guess you, you see, named one. So. See, <laughs> for, for folks that don't know, see, Chris and I go back a ways, and he'd come on, and we would do shows together. I mean, going back a decade, you know, and when Rutgers basketball was in the, the tank, and now the last few years when Coach Peichel's gotten us good again and everything, and, hey, we got some do – and now – see, now we can't laugh about it anymore, Chris. We are a legit NCAA oh. tournament <laughs> participant year in and year out. Well, you finally got pros. I mean, as, as I always say to you, you want to know how good a team is in college, just count the pros. And Rutgers finally started to get themselves some pros, man. 100%. 100%. I hope he hears his name called in all seriousness tomorrow, uh, probably in the second round. That would be outstanding for him, outstanding for the program. And he's got a younger brother, Dylan, who's on the way, and hopefully he picks us. Hopefully he follows uh, Big Brother's shoes and keeps that pipeline coming to Piscataway. That's what we need to happen. Uh, Christopher, <laughs> thanks for a couple of minutes. As always, you're the best. Uh, thanks for the breakdown, as always, and uh, we'll do it again real soon, my friend. No doubt. My pleasure, Dan. Be well, brother. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>